Welcome to TNT with Teresa Quinlan and Reese Thomas. We are friends from across the pond on a life evolution. We want to bring you topics that challenge your status quo, guests that help you think differently, and nuggets of wisdom that spark being. Being what? You. Authentic you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tea at Tea. Um, Teresa Quinlan and myself shooting the breeze about stuff that's come up in our week, in our coaching practices, in our social media engagement, in our groups, uh, or in this case, articles that we have read. Um, there was an article on BBC News posted by a friend of ours, um, written by the head of Goldman Sachs, I think, and it was about essentially. <clears throat> The working from home, he was viewing it as an aberration and he was desperate to get back to the old normal, to the, the position of, you know, controlling the situation, not welcoming this new paradigm that we've started where people from work from home, this kind of idea. And, and really it created a lot of bad taste in both our mouths and, and a real disbelief in this, this pattern of disconnect that her, was being allowed to perpetuate that we in our hearts believe has shifted and in the people we work with the friends that we speak with we're kind of in this in this barrel and we're swimming in this water and we're drinking this thing and we're in the bottom and we're happily playing and we're seeing how deep we can go and keep going for looking for more um <clears throat> hidden gems in the caves down below mm. and then the antithesis of this is people like Head of Goldman Sachs, who is probably still floating on the top on his luxury lilo with his uh, uh, swim-along uh, <laughs> waiter <laughs> bringing him his cocktails, and and um, he's desperately clinging to the inside of the barrier, trying to keep going back to the top so he can, you know, do everything in his position of control. So it kind of left a bad taste in our mouth, and we just wanted to talk about this idea. Are we going to probably call this mining the gap? Um, so yeah, Teresa, you found the article. What's your uh, opening parry? I think that's a great description of the gap that exists oftentimes between our positions of power and then the individuals that are part of that organization, whether the organization is something like Goldman Sachs or it's, you know, a grocery store or a restaurant or a family unit where in older language, <laughs> we define those organizations as hierarchical and we place power in the hands of the few and because that power and authority is in the hands of the few and then the responsibility is distributed throughout everyone else there is a gap that then exists and in that gap is where we have dissonance where you and I don't um, feel what each other is feeling we don't understand what, he, what each other is seeing and how we're making decisions and because there is this disconnect it is a separation, a wedge exists between the two of us. And the more and more often that that occurs, the, the wider that wedge gets, the further away we are from doing all of the things that we want to actually be doing for the outcomes that we're aiming for. So if we have a company mission or a family mission even, and we have the wedge that exists between us, then we aren't all working towards that mission. And I think that this article, article, social media stuff, everything that's been popping up is pointing to that this is 
perhaps maybe 2020 is really highlighting it because of that distinction between, you know, a CEO saying we have to get back to this kind of way of working because that's the way we do it here. That's the only way it works here. And then you have your employees saying, I've never had better life balance. I've never been more productive, more focused, more efficient, more effective than I have been since we've made this adjustment. Now, granted, there was probably a non-honeymoon phase of that shift. But once people went through that valley of despair and change and started to experiment with, oh, this does really work well. Now I've got my ducks in a row. I don't want to go back to the old way of working because that didn't feel as good as this does feel now. So as long as we still have that really clear distinction, it was surprising for both of us. It's an, like, what was the word that you used? Because I'm thinking I'm annoyed by it. Disbelief. So you're a disbelief, which is a, a different... It is a different energetically, a little bit different, right? Like, like annoyance for for me is a little bit on the higher energy. It starts to make my teeth grit a little bit, whereas disp- disbelief makes me feel a little bit more sad. So it's a little bit more low mm. energy, and then I start to move towards the oh, shrug my shoulders, hands throw up in the air. But the annoyance, irritation one for me is the one where like we need to take action on this. And so this conversation here is part of our taking action. Yeah, interesting. I like that. The, the, this idea that uh, this kind of dis, distaste, distrust, anger leads to a kind of a positive reactionary force rather than this idea of disbelief as it could 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 still take that course, but it could also lend itself to you know, a sadness, a loss of hope and a loss of kind of or a general apathy towards the situation yeah so yeah um, and we like to challenge the status quo which means we're going to talk about like several elements of how does this impact and what could it mean and then also what can we do I think in the past they always had the excuse or justification to say well this just wouldn't work it's not possible we've never done it it's just it's just not I I love your idea thank you for sharing it yeah let's pretend they live in a psychologically safe environment where all ideas are welcomed and listened to albeit not actioned upon um the uh, I I visually it's like you know you're in a a walled room and then suddenly these doors or windows appeared and everyone started to look through them and go through them and, and stream out and now this guy is literally going he's trying to put the cork back in the bottle, if you like, and say, no, this is how we've done it. This is what's going to happen. And I, I said, give him the benefit of the doubt and say, well, maybe there are some really, I don't know, secure, like a banking or a stock trading sort of thing, where maybe there might be an argument for needing to have some kind of overview in a, in a, a direct um, <clears throat> in-person sort of environment. But it'd be really interesting to know, you know, what, presuming these people are driven by numbers and the data, is he saying that there's been a massive uh, decrease in, in all the production, all the kind of stuff, all the numbers in the last 12 months have really bottomed out compared to what they were, in, in which case, you know, there may be some semblance of um, <clears throat> argument to to say that he might be right. But I think that's more just, you know, as we said earlier, this kind of, delusional or ostrich head in the sand idea of, of leadership um <clears throat> delusional is one way of cooing it is both a nice and a, and a mean way of looking at it but there's an even meaner way and people just don't mm-hmm. care They're like well, i'm not bothered by this this isn't affecting me it's just about the bottom line and you know the stereotype of the banks and that financial industry makes me think like that but that's also to say that 
we're living in a um, a decentralized sort of exchange digital currency environment where all of yep. this stuff is done remotely on the computer anyway there's no need to be at your desk on an office people shouting orders at you to you know do this kind of stuff and um, we have two sides of the coin we've got the leaders who listen who accept who adapt and who embrace real connection and then you have the others who prefer to dictate to plow forward albeit actually backwards and then who you know bury their heads in the sand and maintain this disconnect gap between themselves and, and other people who work with them and for them <clears throat> well one of the things you mentioned there is that fear that fear space right so in this virtual environment work from home environment if we happen to be working in a company where security is essential and now people aren't in this bricks and mortar space where we can control that more because the ripple impact of that lack of security is really damaging to our company. So a CEO looking at their numbers and saying, mm, these are these are the things that are also happening, not just revenue wise, but security wise. And so if this is how we're at risk, how do we minimize that risk is we have people in a singular location where we can manage that risk much more effectively. Now we're in industry 4.0, like AI industry is considered and often called 4.0. And that affords many opportunities to resolve that risk or have solutions for that risk so that you know, the cause of effect isn't just that people are working from home and that's what the problem is. And so we have to fix that by bringing them back into the workplace environment. When we look at our outcome metric numbers or our high risk spaces, we have to look at all of the variables that are occurring, which means step out of the ivory tower as a CEO or as an, or an executive and talk to your employees. By doing so, we really start to understand the day in day out operations of how people are working and the risks that they see and in that can sometimes come a lot of the solutions because individual contributors have figured out the workaround to those risks and they just haven't told anybody what <laughs> number one maybe because nobody's asked and number two maybe because they they've figured out the workaround simply because it's much more efficient, productive, and effective for them. And they've been given the freedom to do those kinds of things. No one's really watching over their shoulder, or maybe even their experience, a little bit of fear. If I tell someone this is what I'm doing, maybe it's not going to be the right sort of thing. So, so many variables can be contributing. And if we keep the separation, me and my ivory tower and everyone else doing their own thing, that that's a huge gap between the objectivity of what really might be going on and contributing to our outcomes, which means we're missing a whole bunch of opportunities for different solutions to deploy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were saying that, I was just thinking about the actual language that we use, the words that we use to describe this. And it really, when we're talking about production and engagement and output, was output. these are all things that, for me, go all the way back to when this kind of model was created in an industrial revolution type idea, mm -hmm. or even perhaps in a military idea, but where you were literally, you were 
producing something, a physical thing, something was being produced. So yes, output and production were important and time and, and reducing uh, the time measure. I'm thinking of like the Henry Ford's time studies mm, and things right. to try and increase production. Um, whereas now I would argue that a lot of those uh, businesses, and that would probably be prevalent across most business sectors, they would be in that same kind of space, they'd be doing that same kind of process. So these things were necessary, hence why this kind of model is so widespread and, and been taken on board for so long. But now I feel like a lot of the businesses and companies and sectors that people are working in or growing into, nothing about actual physical production, mm -hmm. this kind of thing. So when we, even when we talk about engagement, you know, for me, if a person was being if I'm trying to engage someone in something that implies that what I'm trying to get them to do is not necessarily what they want to do and not, not they don't because if, if if you're doing something that's your passion or your purpose there's no need to engage them there's no need to coerce them into doing something like that so all this language that we use is kind of outdated as well but I appreciate that it kind of goes with with the model that we're talking about um I'm not sure what you feel about that, the language that we use. Oh, yes. And the other thing was this idea about minding the gap. And it made me think of like a physical gap in an office block. Say you worked in the corporate, you were on this floor. Middle floor was the middle manager and top floor was the senior manager. And then the CEO was on the penthouse. So you know, if there was something you wanted to talk about or get across or you wanted to communicate, like you were saying, mm. it's not just a question of how do I get in front of this person it's like a physical process that you'd have to go through like i would leave my desk walk to the elevator go through these things all the time your mind is going what are you doing oh this isn't going to go well you're going to get fired don't do this all these all this time to actually physically get to this space way outside the office ceo executive will probably play a power move be like i'll just keep them waiting there for another five or ten minutes while until i'm ready and that kind of thing and then all this time you're like oh no what am i doing whereas in this virtual world where we're living and now, yes, maybe it was a bit weird to start with, but now everyone is completely on board with it. You have FaceTime with senior executives. You have so much more um, <clears throat> connection with with this this team, this managers, whatever, at all levels. There, there seems to be more of an equality there in terms of getting um, your thoughts listened to or your voice heard. And I feel like that physical shift um helps in the forward thinking leaders and, and organizations helps definitely close the gap because we said you know mining the gap is the kind of first step caution of the next step these kind of cautionary signs or tales that we see throughout our life that are also applicable to a business case study like this and then you talk about okay so if we're mining the gap let's talk about closing the gap and for me what i was just picturing there is this you know this gap between me on the bottom floor and you on the top floor and we're closing that gap and making this level playing field through, you know, virtual uh, Zoom hangouts type thing, Microsoft Teams, other, you know, other products are available. Um, <clears throat> that, for me, in my hopeful heart, is, is a future. And I feel like this article really just smacks in the face of everything that we believe in and we're talking about and, and all the steps forward that everyone was taken and grudgingly or willingly adapted to to then be like okay that was a fun holiday um, <clears throat> now let's go back to 
proper work and and, and like we said earlier there's going to be loads of ripple effects from a company or, or a ceo taking that backward looking decision yeah such as. <laughs> Flat, well so flattening the hierarchy yeah you know um pushing authority throughout the organization and something that i think is misunderstood in pushing authority throughout the organization is we're giving every individual the opportunity to contribute to the final decision, not to make the final decision, to contribute to the final decision. So one of the skills within emotional intelligence is independence. And it is often very much misunderstood as a skill set because when we hear the word independence, we think on our own. However, to do independence really well in emotional intelligence, and especially as an executive or a leader, it means you remain emotionally free from dependency on other people in order to make your decisions. It does not mean that you don't consider people's emotions and ideas and needs and wants when making your decision. It just means that how they will experience the decision doesn't interrupt or bias your capacity to make the right decision for the greatest amount of people. And when an executive can do that, when a leader can do that, when an individual, a parent can really execute on that independent skill, it means that they are talking to everyone getting a good feel of what's going on, the climate that's existing, what works, what doesn't work, and taking all of that information and dropping it in a huge pool and then looking at all of it at one time and being able to discern what is going to be the best set of decisions to move ourselves forward. Because very rarely is there going to be a singular decision that meets all of the criteria for us to move towards where we're trying to go. So that pushes that authority out and giving people the opportunity to contribute to what we do moving forward, but the responsibility of that decision and driving its success forward lives where right now most of the authority lives. So it's a little bit about flipping that model of um, authority and responsibility on its head. So currently we have lots of power and authority at the top of the triangle and all the responsibility to execute at the bottom of the triangle. So if we flip it on its head, then we bring responsibility to hold people accountable, set those expectations, lead with vision. <laughs> we put that at the top and then we move that power and authority down to the bottom and allowing people to contribute to what those decisions might actually be. Yeah, I like that image of flipping it over because it, it makes me think of like, if you're at the bottom, you're kind of having to constantly fight your way up, 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 up to the next level to yeah. whether it's a promotion to get your voice heard, your ideas shared. But like when you said flip it, I was like, oh, wouldn't it be interesting if kind of like all the people were kind of figuratively at the top and you as the leader somewhere were the, at the bottom, so invert the pyramid. And so rather than the voice at the bottom having to struggle so hard to be heard at the top, it was more a case of the, the leader manager's job was to actually traverse that was to go up themselves take being aware of what was happening on each floor listening getting ideas mm -hmm. and only when they got to the top would they then have you know the full picture and be able to still make the decision 
as the CEO, um, <clears throat> but do so having been fully immersed in the whole team, community, uh, organization, rather than yeah. relying on this person to say to that person to feel to that like a Chinese whispers kind of thing. Whereas yeah. if you're actually doing it yourself in person, I would hope that you would have much more um, <clears throat> genuine data to, to work with, if you like, rather than trying to piece together bits and pieces. Yes, and to your point, it removes the visual barrier. So any sort of visual trigger can be an emotional trigger. So if I have to traverse as an employee four floors to get to my CEO's floor in a physical building, that's a visual emotional trigger to influencing what I say when I get there, how I say it, if I actually get there at all. And that mm. being able to flatten, visually flatten our organization in the virtual space, as you mentioned, is really powerful because now we start to remove some of those things that trigger us emotionally that keep us from saying the things that need to be said or doing the things that need to be done from both perspectives from an individual's contributor's perspective, but also from our executive team perspective, because it also is very difficult for them in that visual triggering of, I have to step quote unquote down to speak to individual contributors. Does that mean I'm not capable of doing my job? Might that be how some people will see it as well? And so fear can exist of course for them as well because of this visual trigger and prevent them from doing the things that they would want to be doing in the first place. So there's lots, I think, of responsibility for every individual within an organization to be able to take a look at, are they contributing to the resonance that exists and trying to remove the wedges? <laughs> or are they contributing to the dissonance that exists and are inserting wedges and keeping that separation and mm, expanding the gap as opposed to trying to close the gap? This might be a great time, like what are the ripple impacts of what ends up happening when we start to um, shift organizationally and try to close the gap? I mean, those pros, number one pro is connection. People become much more connected to each other because they're engaging in the really important conversations <laughs> that are rooted in an individual's meaning and fulfillment in the workplace. Hmm. So what you mentioned earlier, right, is am I engaged in my work? Well, maybe the question is, is work meaningful to you? Hmm. Yes, work is meaningful to you. Okay, so now is it fulfilling? And so how do we go from meaning to fulfillment? It's the environment that we're in is how we get to fulfillment. So we get to do projects that we really love that execute and build on our talents. We get opportunities that help us to close gaps in our weaknesses. So we're constantly learning and growing. We're working with people who create spaces for trust and psychological safety to exist. And that's how we fire on all cylinders as individuals. And if anyone steps into that environment as a bad apple, as a toxic individual, nobody tolerates, nobody quote unquote tolerates it. It's addressed immediately with care and compassion because the individual might be struggling. They might not be intending to be a bad apple. And, and so everyone rallies around them to say, hey, what's up? What's going on? How can we help? And rallies around to create greater meaning and fulfillment for that individual. Does everything that they can. 
And that individual has the opportunity to go, okay, yeah, this is great. This is a place where I can belong. This is a place where I can contribute. This is a place where I can find meaning and fulfillment. And they adjust their behavior or the individual decides, screw you. I don't want to be here in this environment where caring, trust, compassion exists. (laughs) I'm going to go elsewhere. (laughs) And they go elsewhere. And both are great options for the people of that organization. Mm. So yeah, just to go back, you said you started you talking about um, flattening the hierarchy or flattening the structure kind of thing. Um, it made me think, you know, there are always two sides to everything. And we generally tend to think of, you know, oh, the, the downtrodden worker and we're on the, the their side and we're like, oh, the, the terrible uh, autocratic uh, yeah. <laughs> executive. Yeah. But then at the same time, as we're extolling these people to become unmuted and, and feel fulfilled and feel heard, at the same time, if you're doing that, incorporating other people's ideas and using them to help you make that final decision, it also releases you from a little bit of that responsibility, a bit of that pressure. So from the other side of it, these people are going up and hearing and being involved and feeling a community, but these other people at the top are feeling less pressure, less isolated, less, um, you know, <clears throat> it's all about the bottom line. So I have to push these things, otherwise it's my neck on the line. Whereas if it's more of a a communal collective idea then maybe this idea of culpability or responsibility is is eased and um <clears throat> that relinquishing or loosening of these traditional labels or positions in a in a system kind of would actually allow everything to just go back so this is the model it's square this is the way it always works there's no point trying to fit a a pyramid uh, shape into this square hole because it just won't work but actually through external pandemics and mass change causations we have been forced to rethink that shape the model mm. um <clears throat> i think that's i don't know where i'm going now <laughs> but I, think, <laughs> I think that this general idea that the old getting back to this the normal like the the old normal it just it again has that real distaste to my mouth and i think that it's interesting that you said about we're talking about mining the gap and then you talked about the emotional thing where we always uh, emotional intelligence thing and self-awareness mindfulness we always talk about mm-hmm. creating a gap don't we so it's, it's funny that with the the two things <laughs> we're the positives of both things depending on the the, the scenario or experience um yeah, well, this mind the gap in what might be occurring within our organization, we're going to fill it with our awareness, right? So yeah. in, in essence, we're going to stick our awareness in that center there to help us close the gap. And so that connection piece is a, a really strong element that occurs within an organization when we start to take these steps forward of our awareness and community building. And then the second thing that comes out of taking these actions to close the gap is loyalty. So when we create greater community within our workplaces where each individual elevates their level of meaning and fulfillment in their work, then loyalty is another product that comes out of that. And I don't know what the current statistics are, but they're in the billions of dollars anyways of how much um, organizations globally spend on 
engagement strategies or employee turnover and recruiting and hiring and training like billions trillions of dollars probably spent i mean it's trillions of dollars spent in the wellness industry so we have so much money being spent to try and plug the holes but there's too many holes to plug because when you plug one it's like a cartoon another one will bust through the wall and you just can't do it because you're trying to use band-aid solutions instead of getting to the core of what the problem is and resolving it from there and so what happens when you have employee loyalties you have people who will go to the wall for you that when you have huge goals, huge initiatives, when you have disruption in your workplace, they will rally together to help contribute to whatever the solution is and then buy in faster to whatever the decision is because you've asked them for their ideas, regardless of whether their idea was used or not. When we're in this kind of environment, the, the channels of communication are so strong and so transparent that what ends up happening is the employee goes, mm, so it wasn't my exact idea, but that's okay. My idea wasn't the most popular one. And now I see that the decision that has been made has been made to do the greatest amount of good for the greatest amount of people. We, it's pretty rare that we can have decisions made in disruption where every single person benefits from it. When we come together collectively, we feel like every person is benefiting because we've collectively contributed to the solution. Like in some organizations through the pandemic where the CEO posed the question of, look, we can do 50% layoff or we can all take a 10% decrease to our salary and everybody gets to stay. What do we wanna do company? And the company rallies and says, we'll all take a 10% de decrease so everyone can stay. Cause here's the thing. I don't know if I'm part of the 50% who gets to stay or leave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's hope it's from the goodness of their heart rather than the uh, <laughs> fear of losing their job. But, it's better um, for all of us to stay than for some of us and exactly, yeah. us to go. Yeah. And it made me think of you know, this idea that we're more connected in the virtual world than we are in the physical world. Uh, we've talked about this theme before, but it was, you, for me, collaboration and this collective idea and this, this collective cognitive diversity, these voices, these shares, this um, inclusivity. And yes, maybe my idea isn't the one that got chosen, but I believe that it was only because of me voicing that idea and sharing that, that it sparked the next idea from the person over there and so on. It's an evolution of the decision rather than just a, whoever makes the decision trickle down, this is coerced into doing this. Whereas this is like, we'll contribute and this is what will happen eventually. Take a thread from here, or a strand from here, and, and we'll, we'll get to the right decision for everyone. So this idea that, um, be in in a traditional work environment you know your different floors or different silos you're segregated there's a separation there's a the, and that plays into the meritocratic uh competitive real backbone of this system that is you know <clears throat> in some industries like sales lauded and and, and saluted and, and praised and and in other ones is kind of hidden and, and kind of glossed over but really that's the real reason why we're working mm -hmm. in this in this model um <clears throat> so the other thing that you touched on there was that for those people who choose not to continue with this adaptation acceptance there are going to be 
so many more competitors and and let's use the banking example maybe the the you know the big four or whatever it might be who've always been in control who are always going to have this kind of idea mindset and then you've got new brand new startups who perhaps adopting digital currency all these kind of new things who also believe in all of these new freedoms and and um, inclusivity and this cognitive diversity all the things that we're talking about for those people who've had a taste of that freedom who know there are better opportunities out there and who are no longer being forced to live in the fear that oh if I leave this job I'll never be able to get anything better not to mention the the whole level of entrepreneurs and, and new mm-hmm. businesses that thrive during these last 12 months so for any CEO or business who is trying to go against the flow and say, look, we're going back to this old thing. For me, I can only see, you know, one possible outcome for that kind of forced shift in the trajectory, either all the top talent leaves or you just get beaten out by competition because you're not, you're not cherishing the, the people in the organization as your priority, you're still relying on, you know, the bottom line, the money and the data and that kind of thing, which for me personally is, is obviously <laughs> the most important thing. And you and you too, but um, <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. voices I, I, are. I hope, I hope this article is the aberration, not, uh, not this uh, shift. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like, but it's a round of applause on that note is that we can choose people before profit because when we choose people first, profit will take care of itself. Mm. When we choose people first, um, revenue goes up, costs go down. (laughs) When we choose people first, we have loyalty, community, longevity. Individuals in those spaces will always rally for each other and creating that kind of community is not an aberration. Companies are doing this all of the time. And because, because we live in a global age where information travels so quickly, because we also live in an age where we have been able to identify remote work as possible. So I don't even have to live in the same country as the company and team I work with and for. That the old way of working, which really was just 12 months ago, we don't even have to look to, you know, the industrial revolution just 12 months ago is not the best way anymore. It's not the best way. It's not the only way. And there will be some sort of requirement for that adjustment to be able to close the gap that exists if we want to, if we're forcing ourselves to move or continue on in that direction. Yeah, and I think if we want to continue on with this transitory stage, this next evolution, transformation, we need to bite the bullet and and, and keep going. And and these, these, these leaders, they need to let go of these kind of old existing mindsets um, and realize that even if he is just going back over the last 12 months and saying, oh, the numbers are down par- compared to what it's having the sight, the, the vision to see beyond that short-term change and seeing how 
obviously in every transition there's going to be a, a period where adjustment and then that's going to take six 12 months and then only after that 18 20 24 months only after that will you suddenly see the curve suddenly go shoot up because people will um will trust it more they won't be like oh this is just an experiment i'm kind of happy i'm, I'm enjoying it i'd like not having to go commuting and all that kind of stuff so i'm, I'm kind of happy um but i still fear that this is all just a an illusion and a fantasy and we're going to go back to this old old way of living but if we can try to encourage <clears throat> not just the workers but the the leaders to be brave and lean into this um yes. this continuing change and not being like oh it's a it's a case of being comfortable with uncertainty as opposed to um feeling safe in a <laughs> completely volatile who knows what's in a broken model you know this mm -hmm. is a model i know that's kind of worked so i feel safe in this but i know probably deep down that it's doesn't have long maybe maybe it works again for a bit but <clears throat> i can only see negative outcomes from choosing past over potential ah here here so thank you to our listeners for tuning into today's episode of Tea at Tea. Subscribe, rate, review. We love to hear what your experience is when you're listening to one of our episodes. We really appreciate that you tune in week after week. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of TNT. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review. And when you're ready for your personal evolution, check out Reese at trueselfcoaching.com. And for your emotional intelligence revolution, check out Teresa at iqeqtq.com.